Lord, thank you for both of these. And as, God, we move into this time where we open up your word and hear you speak through these ancient words in Jeremiah, God, we, we ask that you help us to give us the courage and, uh, and the grace to take whatever uh, plans, whatever we believe our future holds, whatever it is that's up to us, and just to simply lay it before your feet, if only for a little while this morning, and to truly hear you speak into our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, I suppose that it was um, spring of my senior year in high school that maybe I, I fully learned to appreciate receiving uh, cards. <laughs> you see, uh, you know, when you're a kid growing up, the cards were just something that you had to get through on your way, like, to tear open the present. It's like, yes, Grandma, I know that it's my birthday. I have a present right here, and I just want to get to that. But it isn't until senior year in uh, high school that I learned to uh, fully appreciate, I suppose not the cards, but what would uh, (laughs) be in the cards. And keeping track of it, and uh, of course, you know, writing the thank yous later on, and and, and money, checks, bills, that would always be spent for a good cause as part of my ongoing education, you know, all of those things that we write to grandma in the letters, but no... (laughs) And it is, it's, it's in those cards uh, in graduation time that you open it up and amidst the words that are printed on the card as part of the Hallmark greeting, there's maybe handwritten words from a family, from a friend, from a relative that, that might quote a particular Bible passage. Uh, this one, actually, Jeremiah 29, 11, that says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and you a future. I've heard that so many times in so many cards. And I just want to admit to you that I've written it in a number of cards as well. As I'm sure a number of you have too. There's a problem though with that. The problem is, at least speaking for me, is that when I graduated from high school and took this summer uh, kind of working and saving up and entered college in the fall, the problem was that when I started classes in the fall, they were a lot harder than the classes in high school was. I had to work, I had to study, I had to time budget out my life. The problem was that college was different than high school and that the total social system has turned upside down and I no longer knew who the cool kids were or who the smart kids were. And I, I felt like a fish out of water. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I had serious reservations about why I was even in this place in the first place, just racking up student loans up to my eyeballs that I had no idea how I would ever get out again. Questions about my future, where God was calling me in this place. And the problem with that is recalling those words from Jeremiah 29, 11 that says, listen, God has a plan and there's a future. There's a plan to, to, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. The problem was just a few months later, I didn't feel like there was a hope or there was a bright future ahead. I definitely didn't feel any prosperity coming my way. So it starts to make you doubt whether or not these words are either true or whether or not they're true for me. Maybe you've gotten that verse printed in a card that you've received. It's one thing to to take it in the first uh, graduation card 
And you enter college, the world is upside down. You enter a career right after that, the world is turned upside down. And you have doubts, you have reservations. Whether or not that's true, whether or not that's true for you. It's another thing to maybe get that card after the second graduation. It's been four years. And you're supposed to have it figured out. And you're just left with like more questions than you had in the first place. Or somebody sends you a card on your birthday. Maybe it's a milestone, 30, 40, or 50. And, and the words are printed there in the bottom. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, on this birthday. And the, the thing about that is, is that I don't feel like I'm seeing any more of God's plan this decade than I did last decade. Or there's a card that comes as part of a Valentine's Day celebration. And everything looks so bright. Everything looks so hope-filled. Prosperity, I'm sure, will come, but things couldn't get much better. And then with one conversation of, I think we need to talk, everything comes crashing down. And you wonder, I thought there was hope. I thought there was a future, a bright future ahead. Where is God's plan amidst broken relationships? Where is God's plan among baby shower cards given and received? Where is God's bright future and hope when the kids are just a wreck and just can't seem to stay out of trouble even just for a little while? Where is God then? Listen, there's plenty of occasions to give cards for. There's plenty of occasions to, to receive those words from Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And there's plenty of times that you can count back in your life and go, you know, I just, if there is a plan, I don't see what it is. I don't see the hope. I definitely don't see the future. So what is it? Is it either not true or it's just not true for me? I think that if you've been a Christian for a, a long, long time, and, and you've heard this verse maybe for a long, long time, and maybe you've been quoting it for a long, long time, you might go on to just a few verses later and hear from uh, verse 13 that says, um, God says, listen, I'm going to give you a hope and a future. Skip a verse, then it picks up in 13. If you seek me, you will find me if you will seek me with all your heart. And you say, well, that's the catch right there. And if you've been a Christian for a long, long time, you know that, listen, God is going to give you prosperity. He's going to give you hope. He's going to give you this bright future ahead, even when things look so dim and so dark. If you but seek him with all of your heart. And so you, you, you double your efforts, redouble your efforts. And try to do whatever that looks like, to seek him with every fiber of your heart, to pursue after him. Only the plan doesn't come together. The future doesn't look more hopeful. And you say, well, well, amidst a relationship that meant, went bad, or, or amidst a, a career vocation that doesn't seem to be materializing, amidst an illness that just keeps cropping up and cropping up with every readmittance to the hospital, amidst all of this, well, I suppose it's all happening because, 
because I didn't seek God with all of my heart. I suppose I, I brought this on to myself. And so amidst the, the illness and the questions and amidst all of the crumminess in this world, we add on to this Christian guilt because I guess you just haven't been pursuing him enough. Or the alternative is, if you haven't been a Christian for very long, you go, listen, I, uh, I dipped my toe in that water. I gave this Jesus thing a shot, and you know what I found? My life's not any better than it was before I prayed this prayer or went to church or went back to church. So nuts to it. I'm done. I don't need it because apparently either it's not true or it's not true for me. And just chucking it out the window, no one's going to blame you. No one's going to blame you if that is. That's what God had promised in the first place. So if you're just joining us, we're in this series right now. Uh, just started it last week with the Beatitudes. You can listen online. But uh, this week, uh, we continue this series called The Misused Bible. Um, Bible verses that are often quoted, misquoted, misunderstood, misused, misapplied to real life. Bible verses that maybe if you've heard a number of times, you think they know what they mean, but, but that's certainly not what they meant, at least not when they were originally written. And so we're taking a look at some of these uh, often quoted Bible verses and, and maybe looking at, at what not only they mean now, but more importantly, what they meant then. And then, of course, applying, applying or reapplying that uh, to today. The passage that we're going to look at is Jeremiah 29, 11. And we just heard the, the part that's quoted in the greeting cards all the time. I think, friends... Um, just to highlight I th- why this is probably so popular is because a verse like that, a verse that, that, that gives hope, uh, prosperity, it gives protection. There's so much to love in that. It, it works so well on a greeting card. I know that, you know, when you first receive it, there's hope there of prosperity. What's so nice about it, and maybe so tempting, is that it takes like this American dream of of everything working well, you know, uh, getting married and settling down and having 2.3 kids in the house with a white picket fence and just knowing what you were put on earth to do and never really struggling with anything. It takes this whole dream that this country has and, and puts God's endorsement behind it and says, yes, it can all be yours if you but seek me with all of your heart. And so there's part of me that just I wants to live into it and say, yes, I'm going to do that. Because frankly, this is just too good of a deal to give up. Fulfillment of the American dream for, for only the small cost of pursuing God. But is that fair? Is it fair to hold God to that promise? You know, I just uh, prayed, kind of opening this message time to say, you know what, God, if only but for a minute, let's, Help us to give us courage so that we can, we can suspend whatever hopes, whatever dreams, whatever future that we have and give it to you. Is it fair to hold God to a promise that we dictate on our terms and our timeline by our definitions? 
Now, obviously, I already said it's a series called The Misread Bible, so I don't think that was fair. And if you're waiting for the turn in this whole thing, there it is right there. I don't think that's how we apply it. But I'd like to do something a little bit different this morning. Instead of me just sort of uh, telling you outright, well, this is actually what it means, I hope this morning to give you maybe the tools to read a Bible passage or two on your own and say, you know, I guess I understand now how we arrive at the conclusion or what a passage really means. And so let's uh, look at the greater context and, and really just pay attention to a couple of things. Uh, first of all, we just, we got to pay attention to the context in which it was written, right? So forget just for a moment about what we think that it means right now or all the greeting cards we've, we've heard it quoted in uh, in the last few years and, and try to reclaim what it meant way back then, what it meant to those people that were originally hearing it, what it meant to the author who was originally writing it, and try to take that meaning and bring some application for today. So when we look at the context of a Bible passage, there's two ways to do it. First of all, there's a historical context. You know, what was going on in the world when it was written? These are ancient texts, thousands of years old that have survived all this time. I gotta believe that a lot has changed since then, and that could kind of impact how we hear things. Historical context also, and we could call it like the literary context, but really we ought to just read a few verses ahead of the one that we're quoting and a few verses after which is tough because the verse of the day app is like 140 characters. And so it's going to take a little work. And I get that, but I think it'll pay off. First of all, the historical context of uh, this verse, Jeremiah in the Old Testament. It's a big, long book. Uh, Jeremiah is a book that was written in a time when the people of God, the Israelites, were in exile. I mean, it doesn't take an NIV study Bible to realize that, that exile is, uh, it is not a desirable position to be in. <laughs> the people are far away from home. They're enslaved. They're oppressed. They're wondering altogether, when is God going to rescue us? When is God go- going to bring us out of this place? When is God going to save us or redeem us? And then we move into the uh, literary context or, or the verses around this one. And we see from the chapter just before Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 28, there's this, uh, this knockdown, drag out fight between two prophets. One of the prophets is Jeremiah, the other prophet is uh, one called uh, Hananiah. And as the people are dragged away into exile and oppressed and enslaved and wondering, crying out, when is God going to save us? This Hananiah prophet comes up to the leaders of the people and he says, you know what? Two years. You're going to be uh, in exile for just two years. It's going to be short. It's not going to be sweet. But start praying right now for God to, to wipe these Babylonians out. Pray to God that he will strike them with lightning and smite them. Two years is all that it's going to be. Now, Jeremiah, kind of seeing what's going on, goes, um, you realize there's a financial incentive for Hananiah to be giving good news. <laughs> Only two years. That sounds great. Why don't you come again next week and, and, and give us another update on some more good news? Jeremiah says to Hananiah and everybody else around, listen, I got some bad news. It's not going to be Two years. It's going to be a lot longer than two years that you're going to be in exile. So what Hananiah said about, listen, uh, don't settle down, don't integrate with the culture, don't get to know your Babylonian neighbors, Jeremiah the prophet goes, it's going to be a long time. They have this knockdown, drag out fight, and we know who wins. Because the name of the book is Jeremiah, right? Also, the... 
ending of Jeremiah 28 says, uh, has Jeremiah saying to Hananiah, this is how you're going to know that I'm right and, and you are not right. I'm predicting that by the end of the year, you will die. You will not see next year. And those are the final words. Final words of Jeremiah 28 was, and then Hananiah died in that same year. Jeremiah confirmed, turns toward the people, and says this in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry, have sons, have daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you into exile. Seek the peace of your captors. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yet this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you'll call on me and come to pray, pray to me and I will listen to you. You'll seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I'll be found in you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from the nations and places I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place which I, uh, from which I carried you into exile. God says, I'm going to save you. I'm going to rescue you. There will be hope. There will be future. We look at the historical context, I think it tells us something. Hananiah, Jeremiah, him saying it's going to be a lot longer than two years. Settle in. We take a look at what I call the the literary context or just the, the verses around the one that we quoted. You know, it, it's hard to hear now, but if but if you wrote and spoke Hebrew and you're listening to this the first time, you know, just imagine not just what it means now, but what it meant back then. And you're hearing, you're starting to pick up on something. Whenever he says you, I have a plan for you, a plan to give you a hope, you a future. I will rescue you. I will come for you. I will bring you back from all the places that I have banished you across this whole earth. Every time that he says you, he doesn't mean you. He means you. I'm going to come for you all. Not just you, but everyone. Not exactly the the graduation or wedding card. God has a plan for you to prosper you, but for everyone. All of God's people, I've, I've got a plan. This is going to work out. There is still hope here. And the other one, much more obvious to us reading it today, I think. In verse 10, just before that verse, the one verse before the one so often quoted, 
the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come. 70 years. Oh. If I'm, uh, if I'm in the crowd and I'm hearing this for the first time, if I'm in the crowd, I'm hearing this for the first time and I'm understanding, I'm old enough to understand the words that are said or the words that are written, I will not see that rescue. After 70 years passed, if I'm old enough to, to even somehow comprehend, it means that I will not make it out of here. I will die here. I will be buried here. I will not make it another 70 years on this earth. Suddenly the cards start to take a whole new meaning. You write a card and you say, listen, um, happy graduation. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. You're wondering right now, aren't you? You're wondering what God's plan for you is in your life? You're wondering what the, what the big reveal is going to be? <laughs> Things are going pretty tough right now. You're sick. Life is extremely difficult because, because you're struggling in your singleness or you're struggling in your marriedness and you're just stuck here and it feels like you just can't break out and you want to hear a good word and somebody tells you, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. One verse earlier, I've still got a plan, but you will not make it out. You will die here. Forget about, you know, rescuing this verse for graduations. What on earth is God trying to tell us through, a, through such a, a despairing passage like this one? I think the key is in that first part that admittedly we sort of just glazed over, when, as opposed to Han and I who said, don't integrate, don't, don't let all this sink in, don't, don't assimilate to the people around you because two years is only a short while. Jeremiah says it's going to be 70 years. So he says, build houses, plant gardens, increase, do not decrease. You should be here for the long haul. The captors, that have taken you away. Pray for them. Your enemies, lift them up before God. Because, because the idea is, if things go well for them, it will go well for you. You know, I can't imagine the people, you know, asking the questions. And we, and we know that they were so tempted because Hananiah himself, you know, spoke to them what they wanted to hear. They so desperately wanted to hear that, that listen, things are going to be great for just me. I'm just about to get out of, out of whatever questions that I have, out of whatever situation in life that I'm in that I don't want to be in. And they wanted to hear that so bad. And the word that they got, instead of, listen, don't get used to it because God is going to save you, the word that they hear is lean into it. Wherever you are in life, 
whatever you're afflicted with, whatever low position that you hope to escape out, there's a good chance that God is going to rescue you from that. There's a good chance that he's got better things in mind for you. But at least for right now, don't escape it. Lean into it. Build, plant, increase. Wherever you are right now, you think, okay, I can't wait until I graduate because then I'm going to be like a real person and I'll be able to contribute. Wherever you are, build, plant, increase. I'm stuck in my singleness or I'm stuck in a crummy marriage and I just can't wait for God to bring me out. No, 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 lean into it. Build, plant, increase. He has you here. Settle into it. Using the language that's picked up on here, God says, there is a kingdom to be built right here where you are. I am not absent from this place. I am not waiting for you in the future, uh, waiting for you to arrive. I am here with you in whatever crummy situation that you think you might find yourself in. So build, plant, increase exactly where you are. The weird thing about it is that they did. Not just then in, in ancient Babylon, but the, the Christians have a history of like making this a part of who they are, of leaning into wherever that, whatever position, whatever place that God would, would have them in. There's a uh, religious um, historian uh, who took a look at all the different religions in particularly the, the first century A.D., you know, right after um, Christ died and was resurrected. And he said, the, the odd thing, his name was um, Rodney Stark, and because the weird thing about this whole religious landscape in the Roman Empire is that there's a ton of religions I mean, there's, you, there was no shortage of uh, worldviews to be had. And some were growing and some were shrinking. But, but across that whole landscape, these people who, f- who called themselves um, little Christs or, or Christians, as they would come to be called, are just one small little sect of, of a slightly larger population called the, the Jews. And, and even that didn't really register on the radar of the demographics of ancient Rome, ancient Roman Empire. But yet, looking at this from purely historical perspective, what happened? Because only in the time from 100 AD to 300 AD, the entire empire became Christian. How do you get that kind of influence? How does this one religion just seem to choke out all the competitors and rise so quickly, so dramatically to the top? And he looks at it and he goes... During that time, another, uh, another factor that was happening was that people living in large cities were living essentially on top of each other, just packed in. And so it was very, very easy for disease to spread throughout the cities. And as people started to get sick with these bizarre, mysterious illnesses that the local doctors could not cure, and they knew that they could not cure, people started fleeing and retreating from the cities. If the doctors got out of there, whether it was your grandma, your mom, a guy across the street, whoever it was, it didn't matter. You left them behind because you had to save yourselves. And so uh, Stark kind of comments to say, it seems that there was this time that people had just abandoned all sense of morality and good in other people's lives, and they just took care of themselves, hightailed it out of there. 
except for this weird group called the Christians. Because they seem to not care or give any regard to their own lives at all. In their mind, whether they lived or whether they died, it didn't matter because their hope wasn't here. And so as everybody was exiting the city amidst this disease, the Christians stayed behind to care for those who were left. And you know, not everybody died. Some made it. If you were just given simple provisions, he says, if you were just given um, something to eat, something to drink, and and a blanket when it was cold out, you would have five times more likely to survive whatever illness that you got than if nobody was around to give you those things at all. And in a purely a way that only an academic can say, rounding out the chapter, he says, he says, and if you survived from the Christian's care, you faced increased likelihood of conversion. <laughs> yeah, not surprisingly, the guys who saved your life, right? It's because the, the Christians, the early Christians, as everybody was leaving, they built, they planted they increased. It was kingdom work to be built exactly where they were. One of the things that I love about this community, about this church, is that uh, only a short while ago, uh, as of um, August, just this past August, we're in a school cafeteria, kind of on the edge of town, and we're looking, uh, as we outgrew the cafeteria, looking at where uh, the different places God would have us go and what I love about this story, about our story, is that, is that from the outskirts of town, kind of 60th East Paris area, God brought us towards the city, not away from it. God brought us towards people, not away from them. God didn't make us a, a destination to drive through. He, he made us a community that people are driving past all the time, every day. I love that about our story. I love that we've embraced that. That at least on some level, we've gotten a bit right that says, you know what? The, the organizations that are around, it's our task to build with them, to plant with them, to increase with them. So with the city, we're doing, you know, helping out with the Easter egg hunts coming up. By the way, we're helping out with the Easter egg hunt coming up. <laughs> we exist for the good of the city, for the good of the people who call this city home that we're building relationships, planting seeds in lives that eventually we pray will turn them closer to God's heart, whether we get to see that in this community or not. It doesn't matter to us. Because all we care is whether or not we see God's kingdom increase. Ready to stand up. Let's celebrate that together. Gracious God, as we go away from this place, Lord, we, uh, we ask that you grace us with a vision to see all the different places that you're working, that you're building, that you're planting, that you're increasing. And God, give us uh, the courage, even amidst uh, a situation in life that we would not have chosen for ourselves, to, Lord, build, plant, and increase your kingdom exactly where we are. It's only going to happen with your help by your Holy Spirit. And it's in your name, our risen Lord Jesus Christ, we pray these things. Amen.